Well, good morning, Cloney Woods. Good to see all of you this morning. Do me a favor, look to someone near you and say, you know, I think you actually look better on a rainy day. Do that, would you? You look good on a rainy day. Something about that. <laughs> Little rainy outside. If you're at home, I can't tell you how you look, but we're glad you're with us this morning. If you have your Bibles with you, would you turn them to Psalm 139, continuing a series called the Psalms of Summer. I would say we're kind of headed around 30 base toward home in our series. Today we're going to hit Psalm 139. Next week we're going to hit Psalm uh, 32 and 51 and we're going to celebrate with a time of communion. It's going to be a neat time together. And then uh, coming up on Labor Day weekend, I think, I think we're going to land on Psalm 150. Seems to make sense. You start with the first one, you end with the last one and I think that's where we're going and uh, it's been a good, good series together. I don't know how many of you know about a default setting. Does that sound right to you? You know what that means, a default setting? Maybe I'm thinking of something wrong. I always think of a default setting as a setting that kind of I go back to and everything else kind of gets messed up. I remember years ago when I used to kind of have to take care of my own computers and did that for a number of years in the office. And it seems like I'd get new softwares or something like that. And it would just kind of bog the computer down. And uh, I call our IT guy every once in a while and say, hey, my computer's messed up. He goes, did you download something? And well, it said it was supposed to update. He says, never do that, never do that. And, and uh, sometimes what it does, it bogs down your computer. And so you go back to a default setting, a factory reset, so to speak, where it takes you back to where you really, everything was okay. Well, Psalm 139 is an interesting psalm. And the Psalms are interesting, not just because of who wrote them or even the when they were written, but what's interesting about the Psalms is how the nation of Israel viewed them and used them. Psalm 139 is a Psalm that the, a devout Israelite would actually read twice a day. They would read it in the morning, kind of as if to set them on the right path. And then interestingly, toward the end of the day, they would read it again almost like to bring them back as a default setting. I'm going to call them anchor points. Anchor myself in the morning, go through my daily life, and if I happen to have drifted at all, I got to come back to the same anchor points at the end of the day as what I started the day with. When you look at Psalm 139 that way, it kind of takes on a, a really cool view. And I'd like you to take your Bibles, turn to 139, and I want to read through the entire psalm this morning. O oh Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit, when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O oh Lord. You hem me in behind and before you have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, another translation, actually the Hebrew word there is Sheol. If I make my bed in the earth, in the grave, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, Surely the darkness will hide me, and the light become night around me. Even the darkness 
will not be dark to you, for the night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you, for you created me in my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame is not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Now these are powerful words. They're beautiful words. What's interesting is most scholars believe that David actually wrote these words before he was ever a king, before he ever went through any of the tragedies and the trials and the challenges that he faced, before he ever endured a a time of sin in his life with Bathsheba, before he ever even fought Goliath, most scholars believe that David penned these words actually to minister into Saul's life. It was almost as if they became foundational truths in his life where, Lord, as I begin my day, I'm going to anchor myself in these truths. And Lord, as I close my day, I'm going to go back and re-anchor myself in the truths that you teach me. And as I've been dwelling on this passage over the last several weeks, and now the last two weeks specifically, kind of dissecting it and saying, what does it really say to me? There are four truths that I want to share this morning that become anchor points as we move through our daily lives. And the first anchor point is simply this, God knows me better than I know myself. Can we say that together? God knows me better then I know myself. Notice what he says, you search me and you know me. You know when I sit, you know when I rise up, you perceive my thoughts. That means you know what I'm thinking. Uh Uh-oh, right? Uh, Some of us are nervous about that. He says, before a word is even on my tongue, you already know it completely. And what we learn in this passage is that God knows us better than we know ourselves, which means God knows what I need even before I know I need it. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever been surprised when you've read the Word of God, but you've uh, perhaps been at a message and you came in, and I don't know if any of you do this or not. I I do it every once in a while still. You go in, you start to hear a pastor speak, and you're always glad when you realize it's not something you're going to have to go to the altar about later on, you know? Whew, I've already got that taken care of. Lee, you know what I'm talking about? I go to camp and it's like, whew, man, I'm so glad. I've already, I got nothing between me and the Lord right now. I don't have to go to the altar. Maybe you don't all do that, but I have a feeling you do. But anyway, but isn't it interesting how sometimes you might hear the Word of God, somebody preaching, or you might be reading the Word of God, and then out of nowhere, where it just hits you and it's like something in your life you didn't even know it was there gets revealed i notice what it says in in uh, hebrews chapter 12 or 4 
Verse 12, it says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even into dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all of creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom each one of us must give account. And just like the word of God through the ministry of the Holy Spirit speaks, God knows what I need before I even know I need it. I've told the story before, so I won't get into all the details of it, but I'm, I'm reminded of a time that I went to a conference in Chicago in the year 2000. Tammy was with me, uh, our children's director, Lisa, was with us, and I invited another pastor to be part of that. We lived in Indiana at the time. And it was the first time that I'd ever sat under the ministry of Jim Cimbala, who's from Brooklyn Tabernacle, and then also Warren Wearsby. I'd never sat under his ministry before, but man, what a powerful teacher. My, my my brain just went nuts when he would teach and I was all over in scripture. But I remember the first uh, evening we were going into this conference in the first seminar and uh, we didn't make the time jump. In our brain we forgot there was a time change so we thought we were there in plenty of time realized we were late, went running into this place, got ourselves situated toward the back of the, of the big conference hall and we sat down and they had already sung and they were already just starting to get into the message time and I don't know if you ever feel like you're late to something, you feel a little frantic I hate being late and so we sat there and he opened up God word, I think it was the first Peter chapter five. And as he began to talk, he began to talk about how God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And I have to be honest with you. I'm not saying I've never struggled with pride. I never, but at that moment in my life, I would have told you that is not an issue that I was struggling with. And I kind of said to myself, I'm so glad I can relax. This isn't an area I'm struggling with tonight. He shared several verses and then he shared one illustration from a personal story and it was like the Holy Spirit took a two by four and just went pop right upside my head. And all of a sudden there was this examination going on inside of me. And I felt at that moment, oh my word. God is revealing some areas of pride in my life. When he gave the altar call or just a time to pray, it wasn't really an altar call, I ran to the front. I don't think I've ever gone to a front. There was no altar. It was just a curtain that separated us from another, another conference area. I got down on my knees and I began to just weep before God. I don't know if you've ever seen somebody do that. My wife was up there with me and I know at the same time she was putting her hand on me, she was going, oh God, what did he do? You know? <laughs> It was that kind of thing. And I remember looking up at her going, <gasps> and I just said, I didn't do anything. <laughs> it's just God's breaking my heart. And I just was weeping before God. And God revealed something in me. I didn't even know myself. I have a dear, dear friend who for years has said, never underestimate our ability to lie to ourselves. And David, as he begins his day, as he closes his day, says, Lord, I trust you because I know you know me better than I know myself. By the way, some applications of that means that if I have a need in my life, you know how to provide it before I even ask because I didn't even know I needed it. 
Notice what he says in this passage, verse 4. He comes back and he, and he says, listen, he says, before a word is spoken, you know it completely. He says, you hem me in. It means, Lord, you are in front of me and you are behind me. That means you have enveloped me every moment of my day. And I can remember times in our life where God has provided for Tammy and I, and I could give story after story after story of how God provided. I was reminded this week of Gordon and Phyllis Bacon. Pastor Brian, does that ring a bell to you at all? The Bacons lived in in Indiana. They were representatives of uh, Bethel College, but um, they were also in ministry. And I remember Gordon and Phyllis, they were this dear couple that just had a heart for us. I think they just always liked Tammy and I. They'd visited our first church, and we were ministering now in Elkhart, just started there. We were a young family, and Gordon came in on a Sunday night before service and he sat down and he said, Pastor Phil, he said, we love you guys and God's laid you on our heart. And I just want to tell you, Phyllis and I have been praying and we believe God is calling us to give you our car. I was blown away. Now, before you get too excited, it wasn't a Corvette or anything like that. It was a 12-year-old, quarter-million miles Park Avenue. It was an old Park Avenue, and, and it was a very fine car, but it, it, had, it had been through a lot. And I, I looked at him, I said, Gordon, I appreciate it so much, but I, we've, we've already got a car. I don't feel like we, maybe we would, aren't deserving of this. He said, and he looked at me, and he said, it doesn't matter. God told us to give you this car. Less than two weeks later, Tammy was involved in an accident on the way home from church on a Sunday. Totally demolished the car, the insurance company. We were in a runaround with them for the longest time, and yet it's like God already provided before we ever even knew. It may not be that dramatic in your life, but, but I love this because David says, Lord, you know what I need before I need it. You care about me too much to forget about me. I trust you. Number two, there's a second anchor point that he reveals in this passage, and it's simply this. No matter where I am, God is there. No matter where I am, God is there. Say that with me, would you? No matter where I am, God is there. Now look at the imagery he gives in verse 7. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, I'm on a mountaintop you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, that word is Sheol. That word is the grave. He is talking about life. He is talking about death. And he says, Lord, no matter where I go today, whether it's life or whether it's death, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. Now, that right hand will hold me fast. That is a phrase you're going to see all throughout Scripture. You see it a lot in the Psalms, but the right hand, and I'm sorry lefties, if you're a lefty, (laughs) this is kind of a predominant understanding, but the right hand was always the place of provision and power. It's strength. So whenever he talks about my right hand, he is talking about God's provision, God's power, his strong right 
arm, his strong right hand. He says, Lord, no matter what I face today, whether it's the heights of glory or even if I face the final moments of my life, you are there and Lord, you are sustaining me. Lord, you are coming alongside of me. Lord, you are providing for me also, he says, but you guide me with your hand and at your strong right hand, you give me everything I need for the moment. You're there. And as I begin my day, Lord, you know me better than I know myself. So I trust you, Lord, no matter where I go today, I'll never be outside of your presence. I'll never be outside of your provision. I trust you. Number three, he says, God will give me exactly the right measure of his divine grace to sustain me. Notice what he says in this passage. He says, if I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me. Brian, what's that hymn of faith? Uh, Oh, it's holy, holy, holy. I think it's second stanza. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Isn't it the second stanza says, Though the darkness hide thee, though the eyes of sinful men thy glory cannot see. He says, if I'm walking through life and in my heart it feels like the darkness is hiding him. He says, the light will become night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. I love that phrase. He says, Lord, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. Now, for some of you that are listening this morning, when you read those words, it's as if the darkness wants to swallow me up. That becomes very personal to you. Because you're walking or have walked through some very dark times, whether it be in loss, whether it be in uncertainty, Maybe it's like Psalm 42 and 43, which talks about despair and discouragement, even depression, or as I call it, the darkness of the soul. But you feel like you're walking in a very dark time of your life, and it feels like the darkness that you're facing is snuffing out the glory of God. He says, even then, the night is like daytime to you. The dark will be as light to you. And as I begin my day and as I reset myself in the evening, Lord, you know me better than I know myself. Lord, no matter what I go through today or where I am, I know that you're there with me. And even when it feels as though darkness is swallowing me up, you know how to give me the exact measure of grace to sustain me for that moment. I I think of that measure of grace as being an illustration or an imagery of when the Israelites were coming out of Israel and they began to complain to God because they needed water and they needed food. And the Lord says that he was going to send them manna from above. And he said, I'm only going to send you enough manna for today. And every morning, you're supposed to go out and pick up enough manna for your family for today. 
but no more. Don't keep any more. That would be dishonoring to me. And tomorrow, I promise you, I'll show up and I'll provide manna again. The only exception was on the Sabbath day. He says, the day before the Sabbath, make sure you get two days because I'm not going to, on the Sabbath day, I'm not going to do that. I don't want you to go out and work. I just want you to rest. But he says, but I promise you that every, and you know what scripture says? Every single day for 40 years, God showed up every day until they entered into the promised land and God provided a different way. And so when he says that, Lord, you have grace for my day today, it means God knows exactly what you need for today. And he says, I promise I'll come alongside of you. Set, live my life today, reset as I end my day. Let me give you the last one. The last truth that jumps out of this passage to me from David is that God made me with purpose and on purpose. Therefore, why in the world would he forget about me? Now I'm going to tell you this passage is incredible. The insight by the Spirit of God that David has as he begins in this, I really think this, this passage is at the very heart of when God calls him a man after God's own heart. I, I just believe this is at the very heart of it. It's like it sustained him throughout his entire life. But notice what it says in this passage. Incredible imagery. For you created me in my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Every single one of you today is fearfully and wonderfully made. You were made and created in the image of God. And notice you have a purpose because he says, your works are wonderful to me. I know that for well, full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes I saw my unformed body all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. That means that God had a plan and a purpose every day of your life. There's a plan and a purpose. And oh, by the way, whether it's in the moment of conception or whether it's into the depth of the grave, the last moments of life, you are precious and you are seen in God's eyes. So I begin to reflect on this a little bit. It's incredible how God designed us. That the moment that one cell from your mom carrying 23 chromosomes or half of her chromosomes met one cell from your dad carrying 23 chromosomes, all of a sudden you now have the full DNA scope. It comes together and creates a unique picture in that moment of who God ordained you to be. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. Out of that four nucleotides, write this DNA script. One of the things I did in my research on all of this is that I was going to uh, pregnancy, uh, 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 those who taught 
couples about pregnancy. I, I went to the baby planet, I think was it the baby center, the baby center in San Francisco, and they do educational videos for couples that are trying to know what to expect in their pregnancy. But one of the greatest illustrators of scientific stuff is, uh, is Pastor Louis Giglio. He does an incredible job on this. In fact, if you're a parent and you have young children and you're trying to figure out how to talk about God's creation to them, he wrote a book, and I can't remember the name of it, but all you got to do is put in um, Louis Giglio Children's Devotional on Creation. It has all these incredible ways of helping them see the enormity of creation and how that applies, how God is speaking to them. And I'm getting one of those for Jackson and Porter. <laughs> I want that to be a part of their lives. But do you realize that by the third day, in fact, what's interesting, I, I got a family photo of me from when I was growing up. That's me on the third day. And I know what you're saying. Pastor Phil, you, your shape really hasn't changed all that much in a few years. At that moment, 16 cells embarked on creating or building what the six billion facts of DNA that came into existence when the chromosomes came together, it now begins to build with those unique pictures, never before seen, never after seen, uniquely you, and begins to create and build and develop who you are. Do you know the difference between me and that three-day-old picture? Growth and change. Growth and change. Do you know the difference between me and when I was one year old? Growth and change. Growth and change. You know the difference between me and the day the Lord takes me home? Growth and change. Growth and change. Everything was there. By the time you were 10 weeks old in the womb, let's see another picture. This is what baby looks like. It's interesting. I went out to the Sparrow Ministry. They actually have a they actually have little little forms of this. It's incredible. And I, I want to read this because I don't want to miss the details. I was doing my research. It's interesting what the baby center taught me. He said, by this time, your organs are all present, you're growing, your tooth buds have already come into place. Your teeth begin to grow. Isn't it interesting? Somewhere around 65, you start to lose those teeth. But anyway, at 10, at 10 weeks, you got those teeth. Your fingerprints begin to come into being. That which identifies you as uniquely you, already there at 10 weeks. By 12 weeks, your kidneys are now formed and functioning. By 14 weeks... I love how it says this. It says your ears, your eyes, they're all formed and they are now in place. And this is a direct quote. This is not, by the way, a Christian organization. It's just an educational system, makes videos for families. They say this on one of the videos. Your baby is now looking more and more like a little person. You've got eyelids, eyebrows, eyelashes, nails, hair, well-defined fingers and toes. In fact, if you could see inside of your womb, you'd catch your baby sucking a thumb, yawning, stretching, making faces. That's at 14 weeks. You want to see a photograph, an actual photograph at five months? Twenty weeks to 22 weeks in the womb. 
you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Every day ordained for you has already been written in the book. Notice how David, anchoring his day, says, my life is with purpose. My life is intentional. My life is beautiful. And when you feel like you're insignificant, you're not important at all, God looks at you and says, you have value. You are beautiful. You were made with majesty. You were made with purpose. And there's a reason that David talks about the unseen form and then he talks about the grave. Because just as you were precious in the womb, he says your life is no less precious when you're coming to the end of life And it feels as though you have no strength in your body. You begin to ask the questions, why why am I still here? God still sees you, loves you, and says, you are my image, child. And until the moment you take your last breath here and until the moment you take your first glimpse there, there is not a time, a place that I don't see you, that I don't have a plan for you, that I am not sustaining you by my strong right hand. You are a miracle. And you're a miracle every day. Moment. In the last phrase I said, 50,000 cells died and 50,000 replaced it. You are 75 trillion cells God uniquely designed with purpose and plan. And that's important because David, as he sets his day, And throughout the day, you feel like you drift away from these truths. He comes right back to them again and reminds himself, Lord, you know me better than I know myself. There's nothing that's going to touch me today you don't already know about. You're going to give me exactly the perfect amount of your grace that's necessary for today. And you would never forget me because... You created me and you fearfully and wonderfully made me. And why is that important? Look at the last two verses. He says, since I know all of this to be true, Lord, search me, O God. Know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me to the way of everlasting. Father, thank you that you remind us in your word over and over 
of the beauty, of the plan, of the purpose that you have for our lives. There are those that are here this morning that feel like the darkness is swallowing up your light. Lord, I pray that you would shine victoriously through. Some are walking through the valley of the shadow of death personally or with others. Some, Father, are wondering whether or not you really understand them at all. But you know us better than we know ourselves. And so, Lord, we trust you to search us, to try us, to hone us, to develop us, and lead us at the appropriate time into everlasting life. Thank you, Father. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.